Um, so really making things as simple as possible and getting the, the message across that, you know, you mother, you have a right to have your say on this. Yeah. This this issue also belongs to you. And for instance, a very way to a very simple way to do that is well incentivize people to, for instance, vote. Next yeah. European elections will be in twenty twenty four and it's you know a very simple civic right that we all have if you're if we're over eighteen. Um so that's an easy way, like get across it's so important. It's really so important to vote. Hello, uh, I'm Emma, and uh, um, this podcast is um, the result of a collaboration between Rethinking Climate and Youth and Environment Europe. Um, this is the first episode, and uh, we will um, talk about the fifth 455 package with a special focus on access to justice. We will have in total three episodes, and the aim is to explore the legal uh, challenges um, around the implementation of uh, climate policies in um, in Europe. And we have here with us Margarida uh, from uh, uh, the Environment uh, European Environmental Bureau. Um, you, uh, Margarida, you are Environmental Democracy Assistant, and uh, yes. um, thanks for joining us today. No, thank you for the invite. So, first of all, uh, Margarida, when um, we hear a lot about uh, what is um, Fifth 455, uh, and uh, I just want to ask you, uh, why is this, is it uh, such a debated topic uh, in the EU lately? Right, um, <clears throat> so to start um, with a bit of context, as part of the European Green Deal, which is uh, the set of policy initiatives by the European Commission uh, that was launched in 2021, um, 2020, uh, the EU set itself binding targets uh, for achieving climate neutrality by 2050. This requires that greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, that the levels of greenhouse gas emissions will decrease by a lot compared to what they are now. Uh, and as a step to achieve that, the EU has made a commitment to cut emissions by at least 55% by 2030. So to make itself fit for this 55% reduction, uh, the EU is working on raising uh, its climate, energy and transport related legislation. Um, under the so-called Fit for 55 package. They made some, I think this name was chosen because it has some nice alliteration to it, like it sounds nice. And also it indicates what it refers to. Um, so the Fit for 55 is relevant uh, because it would allow the EU to align uh, its current laws with the 2030 and 2050 ambitions, which are very ambitious. Um, so this package, the Fit for 55 was proposed in July, 2021 by the European Commission and all of the legislation it refers to, which is quite a lot, is being discussed uh, and, and negotiated by the other EU institutions right now. Like it has been being discussed since last year. So that's why it's very relevant because a lot of people are uh, working on it. 
I understand that uh, this package is composed of uh, various um, directives, regulations uh, that require to be updated in order to like uh, meet the, the goals. But um, the, do the, um, uh, the members of the Europe, European Parliament um, found an agreement so far in uh, some of those? And, uh, um, or are there some that uh, still have to be uh, discussed and agree, agreed on? Yes, well, um, so yeah, you, the EU legislative process has a lot of uh, hoops to be jumped through. So a lot of these files have already been discussed by Parliament, but then uh, there's another step uh, in the EU legislative process, which is being discussed then with the Council and the Commission. And so the files that have already been voted by the, in plenary, in the European Parliament plenary, are still in the stage of being negotiated then with the other institutions. So everything's still up in the air right now, okay. <laughs> to be honest. Some of them are still being discussed in Parliament. The ones that have been are being discussed by, are still being discussed. Yeah, okay. I um, I asked about this because uh, um, I think it's um, um, related to um, what is the focus of this discussion, so uh, access to justice. So. Um, we heard a lot about access to justice, but um, sometimes I think it's not clear um, why is it important within the 5455 pa uh, package and uh, um, what are NGOs uh, asking members of the Europa European Parliament, but to the EU institutions more generally to include um, related to um, access to justice. Uh, so I just uh, wanted to ask this, uh, um, maybe more generally and then we will go more specific yes so access to justice so why is it important uh in the fifth for 55 um it refers basically to the ability of citizens to take their governments to to court and force them to make good on their climate commitments so when our governments at the governments of every member state uh make decisions that harm people on the planet or that are inactive, don't take action that they should, um, as per these climate laws, we must be able to challenge that, to challenge them. But this depends on having access to justice, access to the national courts for every citizen. So it's crucial that access to justice is included and built into the climate laws. Um, and the updating of laws under the fifth for 55 that's happening now presents an important opportunity to, to do so. It's basically a democratic tool that people and NGOs can can use to hold their governments and authorities accountable. Um, and we see this kind of climate litigation. We've been seeing it um, throughout Europe. For example, the Orgenda case in the Netherlands, a very famous case where the citizens took the government to court because they considered they weren't um, fulfilling the climate commitments um, that they had made. And the court agreed, so the government had to, well, technically the judgment was that the government had to reduce their emissions. Um, so what we're asking, what NGOs are asking um, MEPs to do is that uh, basically we ask them, the, the MEPs that are involved in the discussion for each legislative file, uh, we ask them to support this right of access to justice, which the EU should already abide by anyway, and you know this, uh, since it's it's a part of the Aarhus Convention, and the Aarhus Convention is a binding international treaty, 
that provides for access to justice in environmental matters, as well as access to information and public participation in decision making. And uh, Law 101, uh, Pacta Sunt Servanda, which means agreements must be kept. So if you if you sign a treaty, you're supposed to <laughs> to abide by it. Uh, but in practice, we know that sometimes reminders are useful. And in fact, environmental and climate governments governance at the EU national levels um, is far from ideal right now. And access to justice is the most poorly implemented pillar of the Office Convention. So that is what we ask MEPs to do. And yes, we've had good results as well as not so good results already. Mm. So um, at, at this stage, um, what what are the barriers that uh, you're finding in asking MEPs to implement uh, access to justice provisions? And uh, um, at this stage, what is the situation? Like, can NGOs um, still ask to um, these provisions to be included or, um, um now that uh, they have been discussed in the plenary is something that uh, up to uh, the EU institutions. Yes, exactly. Um, as I said, there are many hoops to jump through in the EU, in the EU legislative process. And um, so if a file is still being discussed um, at the committee level and the parliament, which is the case for, for example, the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive, uh, we, we are asking and we have asked um, MEPs to include access to justice because they can still propose amendments. But after it's voted in plenary, um, that's it. And it's up to the EU institutions. And um, for example, we've managed to carry some access to justice amendments to, to some, some of these uh, uh, committees, for example, uh, in the effort sharing regulation was one such case. It was approved in the European Parliament plenary, uh, which is good news, with an amendment on access to justice there. Uh, however, discussions are uh, now ongoing between the Parliament, the Commission and the Council. Uh, so it's not yet certain uh, if access to justice will stay in that law or not. Uh, we'll need to wait and see. And for context, the effort sharing regulation, the DSR, sets national targets for greenhouse gas emissions reductions from road transport, buildings, agriculture, small industry, and waste management. And these sectors combined, they generate about 60% of EU greenhouse gas emissions. So they are very important for keeping global warming um, below the 1.5%, 1.5 degrees <laughs> limit, um, and also to achieve the EU uh, ambition of being climate neutral by 2050. Um, so that's it. But an example where member state where MEPs uh, failed to include access to justice in a climate file was the Social Climate Fund. Mm -hmm. uh, we proposed the amendment, but it did not get enough votes in the plenary session. Um, so it was dropped. And for, for context also, the Social Climate Fund is uh, meant to provide tens of billions of euros uh, of funding to bolster vulnerable households and micro-businesses against the cost of the green transition. So it's also very important. Um, and it would be important for um, citizens to be able to challenge whatever member states do with this with this directive um, in the future. Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, so um, I see that there are some 
for example, barriers in the implementation, uh, sorry, in the um, inclusion of these uh, these provisions. Um, what what are the the main, in your opinion, or um, the main um, barriers to have a debate in the parliament uh, on the inclusion of, of access to justice? Like, why is that uh, so difficult at the moment? Mm. <laughs> That's a good question that I ask myself every day. <laughs> uh, no. Um, well, one of the reasons is that um, access to justice is more of a procedural thing mm -hmm. than a substantive thing. So if you have like a climate file and um, well, you have all the commitments to reduce emissions by this percent and that percent. And that's very, that's the, that's the substantive part, substantive part of a directive. And it's more, um, it's more flashy. It's more showy. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. the access to justice is more a procedural thing that then how you can work with that other part. Uh, but it's not as, um, well, it doesn't sound as much of a, as much as an achievement as the other ones, which is not true. <laughs> They're equally important, but for, if MEPs want to, and MEPs that are usually aligned with us um, and they want environmental protection and they want um, civil rights for EU citizens, if they have to negotiate uh, with other MEPs um, that want these files to be less ambitious and they want to cut uh, where, wherever they can <clears throat> on the ambition, they will sacrifice access to justice uh, more readily than they will sacrifice another part because it's, well, it seems more important and it, it's, it, yeah. So that's one reason. And another reason, the way I see it, is that including access articles on access to justice in these files um, is important not only because it implements this right that EU citizens have but also because it makes climate legislation stronger because then if governments are not abiding by their targets um and their obligations citizens can challenge them and make them <laughs> abide by them if the courts still decide um so that being the case their interests that don't really want eu climate legislation to be stronger or even strong at all uh i read an article the other day um that had some interesting numbers so lobby facts, which uh, presents data from EU transparency data, but in a user-friendly user database for people who don't really understand a lot, are not programmers <laughs> like me. They found that while in 2015, like the top declaring companies, like, like private money-making companies, spent roughly 90 million euros between them on lobbying. But this figure increased almost 120 million euros in 2022. So that's a one third jump and, and big energy companies are among the big energy. So big oil and gas companies, they are among the biggest spenders on lobbying at the EU level. And this is a lot more money and a lot more access to decision makers than NGOs have. But then again, what we do have, what NGOs have, is that we are the ones representing civil society, uh, the people, the ones that MEPs are actually elected to represent. And that's why I think we managed to have um, quite some impact sometimes, but it's it's still it's still a challenge. So in a nutshell, access to justice means 
It means civil rights, means democracy, and means um, more environmental protection. And big economic interests famously don't like uh, any of these things very much. So we also have to contend with that. Yeah, yeah I follow you. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, um, the picture is uh, clear. Um, that just to just to conclude uh, with some uh, practical um, reminders that uh, we as uh, from also on my side from civil society we can we can take home. Uh, first of all, I want to ask from an NGO perspective what are um, what are the next steps from from your side? Uh, what uh, what are you planning to do on this on this field? Well, well, it's quite simple really well it isn't it isn't uh our goals and values are very simple because they're the same <laughs> as they've always been it's the way forward the way forward for activists and ngos is to to keep advocating for civil rights and for environmental protection and climate action uh from where we stand uh human rights and addressing climate change are issues that are really non-negotiable and they will never be negotiable so that's that's what we'll be doing. <laughs> we'll still be insisting on these issues. Um, of course, then, you know, the strategy will change depending on what is happening and depending on what results we think we can get. And you know, we will be working with what we have, but uh, that's it. Like our ambitions uh, and goals will not change. <laughs> Yeah. I think that, uh, for example, in this uh, context, communicating to the civil society is very important. Uh, so do you have any suggestions that uh, uh, for young, uh, young professionals uh, and uh, in, in this field to communicate this um, work more efficiently to increase engagement? Because I, of course, we, we, we both agree that the engaging civil society is crucial um, and uh, um communication is uh, is the means for 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 doing that yes for sure um well podcasts <laughs> that's <laughs> um not but seriously um well for young professionals for and for young people like we know that like we know we're aware of the issues <laughs> and so i think the question becomes more what can we do mm -hmm. um and the challenge, the biggest challenge is for citizens that have not been um, involved in these issues before and that have not engaged with activism. Um, so what I would say is to try to communicate in a way that incentivizes everyone, uh, regardless of their age, um, however old, however young you are, um, to be curious and interested in these topics um, and show ways in which they can participate big or small uh and really get the message across that everyone has a right to <laughs> to do so to participate to engage um and then present different ways that might make more sense to them uh and there are already so many resources online so it's really sometimes helping people understand those resources because well you know at least i find and they ha this happens in the eu it happens everywhere that using very technical legalistic language is often not really necessary <laughs> and it can intimidate some people yeah. um, from the outset of engaging 
Um, so really making things as simple as possible and getting the, the message across that, you know, you matter, you have a right to have your say on this. Well, I cannot not agree on this and uh, yeah, and um, we'll, uh, we'll continue uh, doing podcast episodes at this point. Uh, <laughs> that said, um, we close uh, here. Uh, I finished my questions. So um, I thank you a lot, Margarita, for, for joining, answering in a very concise way, and, but also uh, offering an insight that uh, I didn't have. Uh, so thank you very much. And uh, I really hope uh, to see you again in some of our future episodes, or if not, uh, to collaborate uh, in the future. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 